Babs, that was a marathon read right there. All right, you guys, as we continue our series, this little mini-series we're doing on the why behind the what, I want to show you a passage in Nehemiah. So if you have a, Nehemiah, if you have a Bible, open it up, go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, in the, generally, in a word, what is Nehemiah about? You guys know? Rebuilding the wall, right? Everybody knows, Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall. But the thing is, the wall, that whole wall story is done by like chapter 6. And half of the book continues to go on. And we always look at the first half of Nehemiah, not the second half. Today, I just want to look briefly with you at something that happens in the second half because something incredibly important happens. You might even say something incredibly important is invented in the second half of Nehemiah. Does anybody know what, what gets invented in the second half of Nehemiah? What? Well, this thing is wobbly. We've got to fix that. Or is it me? That's eh, baby. Anybody know what gets invented in Nehemiah, the second half? Take a look. Go to chapter 8. I'll read this to you. See if you can figure this out. Nehemiah 8 verse 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what, was, what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And then there's a bunch of names. Skip down to verse 8 where it says, They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense or the meaning so that the people understood the reading. What did they invent there, you guys? Do you know what it is? It's a sermon. It's an, the expository sermon. This phenomena where the word of God is read and explained, this right here in Nehemiah 8, that's where it starts. So there was this book, and it was filled with treasure, filled with insights, things that the people needed, but the book had fallen into disuse. People didn't know what it said. And when they heard what it said, they didn't know what it meant. So in Nehemiah, the teachers read it and they explain it so that people can understand it. And this is a major pivot, a major turning point. Today, as we continue our, our series on the why behind the what, um, we, our purpose is to help, you, help explain to you, why do we do the things that we do? When you come in here on a Sunday morning, what are we doing? You've already heard in the last couple of weeks, Quig and Eric talk about how and why we celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection and anticipate his return as we meet at the table. You hear about why we worship God through song. And next week, Brian is going to talk about the prayer aspect of our service and what are the things that we do here. And then the following week, not in this room, but in um, my Sunday school class out in the fellowship hall, we're going to answer a whole bunch of questions that you've been submitting online. We're going to go through, we're going to try to do a lightning round. There's a lot of questions. We're going to try to answer as many as we can as thoroughly and concisely as we can because we do want you to understand why do we do the things that we do we're in the sanctuary we're doing here these big main blocks of things but we're going to kind of clean up everything we can uh, in 45 minutes uh, in, in a couple weeks on it'll be uh i think it's june 4th sunday school so if you submitted a question or you're curious about some of the more particular things you can come and get that but today i want to talk to you about the teaching portion here except i want to change the language for you okay teaching is what I'm doing, ostensibly. It's what I mean to be doing, right? And who really cares about that? What we want to talk about is not the teaching time, but the learning time. My job is to teach. Your job is to learn. 
And I want you to think about, from your perspective, what are we really doing here? And I want to help you this morning to think about the particular thing that is your role as a learner. Because you're not supposed to just sit there and passively let the words kind of wash by you. I want you to think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it, and even what do you do then? Like, So we're going to have you know about a half hour together here. What do you do for the next 167 and a half hours until the next episode rolls around? Put another way, what's the purpose? What's the value? Why do, we, why do we build probably the largest single chunk of time when we come to worship is dedicated to your learning? Why and what do, how do we make the most of it? And I want to, if you don't mind, I want to dispense with all the obvious stuff. You're supposed to lean in, pay attention, open your Bible, take notes, you know, apply what you, blah, blah, blah. We know all that, okay? That's obvious, and telling you that doesn't really give you anything you didn't already have. So what I want to try to do this morning is kind of just stipulate all that and then go a little bit deeper. In this half hour and in the several hours that follow until we meet again, I want to ask you, I want you to think about what is your job. And really, I want to, say, I want to suggest to you that you have three jobs, three things that are yours to do as we gather here, that I want you to come in in the morning and I want you to think about. These are my jobs. You are, here's they are, you're a builder, okay? You're a builder. You are, I mean, we put them up here, they're already up here. You're a detective and you're a fireman. But when we say fireman, forget what you think that means. I don't mean what you think it means. We'll cover that in a little bit when we get there, okay? First, you're a builder. Here's what I mean. You have a worldview. You remember this guy? You're one of these, okay? You have a worldview. You have a set of beliefs about the world and your role in it. You have this framework through which you make sense of the world. You have some paradigm of how you decide what is true and what is good and what is beautiful. You have some sense of what the world is for. And more importantly, you have some sense of what you are for, right? You have a set of assumptions about what you ought to do, how you ought to do it, why it ought to be done. You have rankings in your mind. When you have two or 20 things competing for your time and your attention, your love and your service, you have some rubric that you rank them by. I'm going to do this and not that. I'm going to do these and not these, okay? All of these things together as a bucket, this comprises your worldview. What is true? What is good? What is beautiful? What am I supposed to do? And I can tell you with a very high degree of confidence that for every person in this room, including myself, our worldviews are a mix. Some of it is spot on. There are things that you rank in the proper order. There are things that you believe that are true. It reflects reality and it's good. Some of it, however, um, is reasonable given what you've learned, the things you've been exposed to, the things you've walked through, but it's a little bit iffy. There are some parts in your worldview that are just incomplete, things you haven't really thought about. There's things that you've yet to, be, yet to be taught, maybe you haven't considered. There are blank spaces that can be improved. And, and I hope you'll pardon me for saying so, some of what you believe is just plain false. It's just erroneous. It's just not true. Maybe you've been lied to, Maybe you've lied to yourself. Maybe you've just misunderstood some things. But all in all, for every human being walking on the earth, our worldviews are a mix. Some of it's right, some of it's not, some of it's in between. And our job, your job, in the learning time as we sit together under the scriptures is to humbly listen to the word of God and to think, wait, what? You're, you're telling me that is true? Because I thought, this was true. And I, I'm not sure, I, I don't know that. Or your, your job is to say, wait a minute, time out, time out, time out. 
this is a new teaching. I don't have, this doesn't fit well in my existing framework, and I don't quite know what to do with it. I didn't know. That makes sense, but I didn't know there was a revelation about that, and I'm going to have to do some work and get out my hammer and saw and go back and reconstruct my worldview. This time right here is designed for that, for you to be actively, intentionally, thoughtfully building your worldview by which you make sense of things. Now, I know that process here, changing your worldview, that is, you're going to have a variety of experiences about that. For some of you, that, uh, that prospect of being shown where you're wrong is delicious to you because it gives you the opportunity to stop being wrong and to start being right. And you're like, yes, I'm glad to move on from what I used to think to a better way to understand things. For some people, nothing could be further from the truth. Like this process is highly threatening. Like nobody talked to me, right? You're just in this space and you hate being contradicted and you don't want, you just kind of like the way things used to be, right? You're, you know, if you forgive me, like there's a, within Christianity, there are these pockets that are just like so brittle, like the King James only crowd, right? It's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. And there's no reason to ever move on from anything. There's this view that is very brittle. And for you, the idea of changing your worldview or challenging it is really unwelcome. There's a guy named Thomas Kuhn, K-U-H-N. He wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And he basically explains that we have, um, we, okay, we have this network of beliefs that is incredibly resistant to being changed. So what happens is you believe this is what's true. This is what the world is like. And then somebody shows up and is like, yeah, well, check this out. Did you ever notice this? And you, we have this ability to look at that data and to say, well, I mean, so what about that? It's just an anomaly, and we just ignore it. But then somebody else shows up and is like, yeah, but hang on a second. What about this? And bit by bit, people will hang weights on our network until eventually there's so many anomalies that the network collapses, and we have to rebuild it with a richer sense of what's actually real. The classic example of this in human history is probably... This, the transition to a heliocentric universe, right? If you think about it, maybe one of the most obvious things in the whole world is that we are standing still and that the sun is rising in the east and setting in the west. And then some yahoo, some imbecile walks up and is like, no, hang on a second, check this out. What if we're not standing still? What if we're spinning around ourselves and we're orbiting around the sun and that would explain all this and we're like, that's absurd, because it is absurd. Just stand here. Do you feel like you're spinning? Of course you don't feel like you're spinning. And it seems ridiculous. And so your network sustains the anomaly. And they're like, well, hang on a second. Think about this. What if we weren't only spinning, but we're spinning around ourselves and we're tilted at about a 23 degree axis? That would begin to explain the seasons. Have you ever thought about why we have seasons? And you're like, well, no, but whatever. And then what about this? What about the way the planets move? And eventually the whole network collapses and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. I've always been wrong. Everyone's wrong. And now we move into a better understanding of things, okay? That phenomena, to a certain extent, is what you had to experience if you've ever become a Christian. Jesus shows up and he begins to offer you things. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Maybe I'm fine. But eventually, the network collapses. Some of you have been through that process enough times. And what you find is that every time your network collapses and gets rebuilt, it gets rebuilt better with a closer approximation of what reality is like. That is what we're trying to catalyze here, that you would be humble people, that you would sit under the word of God and that you would say, okay, okay, I didn't think that was true when I got here this morning, but I hear what you're saying, tell me more. And you would lean in and you would let the word of God begin to change your world because 
You're a builder and you're building a worldview. I love it. When I'm speaking or I'm teaching a small group and somebody is squinting at me during a talk and they're like, I don't know if what you're saying is true, but I'm interested. So win me, persuade. I love that because I don't want you to sit there and be like, blah, 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 who really cares? Let's go, let's do the work, let's lean in. I promise you that if I say something, I have good reasons for saying it, but it doesn't mean that I'm right. So let's do the work, let's lean in, let's, let's, let's go at it. I hope that you will be bothered enough by the things that I say to you, by the things that any of us say to you, that you will get out a Bible, you will look it up, and you will build your framework. You will consciously and intentionally and intentionally build your worldview. Don't assume, please don't assume that you have known everything there is to know since you were 11 years old, okay? Let's be a people that come to a deeper and a richer understanding of the things that God has revealed. We're builders, okay? Number two, you're Sherlock Hemlock, okay? You remember this guy? You're Sesame Street. We are detectives. Some of my heroes in the Bible is this quick little mention. People don't maybe know about these guys, but the Bereans, they're mentioned very quickly in Acts 17. Listen to what it says in Acts 17 about them. It says, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. And listen to this. And they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That is what we're looking for. Be Berean. Examine the scriptures to see if what we're saying is true. It, the word of God is the framework. And your job is to build up this infrastructure of your mind. And in order to do that, there's going to be work that happens outside of these 30 minutes. Your job is to go home and to be curious and to read a book, to look up the passage, to read some things, to have a discussion in the car on the way home, over lunch, to have a, have a discussion. Like, we want you. We want you to engage. And you're, I even want you to disagree with me. I think the truth emerges when we're having an honest conversation, when we're going after things. So you are allowed, absolutely allowed, to disagree with me. I, my preference, though, is that you do it to me, not about me, right? Come to me, say, ah, I don't know about that. You got a couple options. You can, come, you can come soft, you can come humble, you can come low, right? And we'll have a great conversation. I promise I'll be nice, okay? And we can talk about this and I will try to show you why I think what I think and we can do that and I think that'll be delightful. We can all, you can also come high and hard and fast and I like that too, okay? And so we can do it however you wanna do it um, but if you do that one, if you choose option B, just bring your A game, okay? <laughs> and let's do the work and let's discover what's, what's really true. Let's go after it. If you don't wanna do it with me, that's fine, but do it with somebody. Build your worldview on what God has revealed. Do not just drift about assuming that everything you've always thought is already true and do not just eagerly collect anything any Yahoo says to you, including me, right? Don't just take whatever people are spouting, but investigate, read, learn, discover, discuss, talk about it in all kinds of settings, and let's figure it all out. We want the benefit. I will, I will grow and I will learn. It's to my advantage to hear your thoughts, to hear your disagreements, that we can say, oh, could I have said it better? Or was I just wrong, right? Let's figure out what's real, okay? When you leave here every Sunday, chase your curiosity. We intend to provoke you into thinking about things. We want you to be builders. We want you to be detectives. And then finally, we want you to be firemen. Now, this is a different kind of fireman, okay? This guy right here. Um, we're not talking about the fireman with a hose that is keeping houses from burning down. I'm talking about the guy on a train 
who is shoveling coal into the furnace. He is also called a fireman because he feeds the fire. Now, it's imperative, I think, that you be provoking your curiosity, that you're doing all this work and you're helping others to think about it. Um, it's why we've done things like, like even at, I taught on Titus here um, in, uh, in the sanctuary a couple weeks ago. And the hope was that you would go back and you would read Titus, right? You're going to get curious. You're going to chase these, all, all these things down. That's all great. We're doing it in my Sunday school class. We're going out. We're doing these one week. Every week, I'm going to pick one book of the New Testament and explain kind of the keys to it. But the hope is not just that you would hear the keys to that book and then stay there, but then having heard the keys, you would then go and do your own work to just read it, to understand it, to ingest it, to come to a deeper understanding. We could do all of that, right? We could do this whole process at a very heady intellectual level, right? We could process through all those things. But the reality is we want more than that. We're not just trying to win at Bible trivia. It is true, it is absolutely true that the greatest predictor of maturity in Christ, if you're gonna grow in Christ, is when you become a self-feeder. When you go from listening to someone else talk to, to searching out the scriptures yourself, to learning, to reading, to being curious, to being in control and command. You're not Gerber babies, right? We don't need to spoon feed you forever. Your job is to go do, that's the, that is the key predictor, but there's a risk, right? That if you do that, and if all you're doing is you just get smarter and smarter, more and more knowledge, and the point was never just knowledge. I want you to think about this whole process. It starts with the builder. You're building a worldview. I want to understand what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. That's great. You're a detective. You're going to pull on threads. You're going to learn. You're going to be curious. You're going to chase it down, right? You're going to be a fireman, and you're shoveling coal into that furnace. But what I haven't told you yet is what is the furnace that you're shoveling coal into? And it is, without a question, the furnace of worship. The point of the whole game this whole thing is that we are trying to fuel our hearts longing and need to worship. We are learning this information. We are pursuing this information. We're being curious and diligent because we want to worship the true and living God. He is good. He loves you and he wants good things for you. All this stuff builds up so that we will not merely be smarter sinners, but so that we will worship in a richer way. Some of you might know that uh, this week, a, a great man named Tim Keller passed away. Had you heard this news? If you had not heard it, I'm sorry to be the one to break that news to you. Tim Keller used to pastor a church in Hopewell, Virginia, a little tiny church in a little tiny town. And then he moved to Manhattan and he planted Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And he has been in this generation, one of the, one of the absolute greats, one of the finest expositors of scripture uh, that's been on the world stage. Incredibly brilliant and gracious and wise and good man. And he passed away this week from a uh, four-year battle with pancreatic cancer. And when he did, like, you know, Christian blogosphere was just erupted with all these tributes to the impact that Keller had on their lives. And for me too, I'm one of uh, millions of people who have been deeply marked by him. And I remember listening to a lot. I have listened to hundreds of Tim Keller sermons. And I, I remember specifically when I lived in State College, Pennsylvania, Kelly and I lived against this uh, cornfield owned by the university and it's this beautiful place and there's a path through it and I would load up my iPod back when those were a thing uh, and with a little spinny dial and walk through this field and listen to Tim Keller sermons and he's always brilliant, he's always insightful, there's always great things that I would learn but there is this moment in a Tim Keller sermon that is like the prestige in a magic act. If you know, if you listen to Kelly, you might know what I mean. There's this moment where he does this reveal it's a little bit like if you've ever seen uh, stage performers that paint 
like with their hands and it's just this big sloppy mess and you don't know what they're doing and then they flip the picture upside down and it's like Jimi Hendrix and you didn't see it coming you know you know that kind of a thing that's a Keller sermon he and I would I remember I would be walking in my in the field listening to Keller preach and then there's this moment where the reveal comes and literally I would I would I noticed to myself that I've been walking along and I'm listening and then it would happen and I would stop walking because something about Jesus was revealed. It was so beautiful that it was, it was arresting and it was captivating. And it's like all systems stop so that I could just pause and engage and worship. That's what the whole thing's about. Can we come to the scriptures? Can we feed our hearts in such a way that we're provoked to worship. Now, to a certain extent, it's Quig's job, and it's my job, and it's our job on stage to provoke worship. But you guys, it's your job to feed the fire. It's your job to say, I want to be one who, I'm gonna lean in. I'm gonna build a worldview. And when, I, when Jesus contradicts me, I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna let the word of God shape me. I'm gonna sit under it rather than sitting over it. And when I find something, and I'm like, hang on a second, where does that go? I'm going to pull that thread. I'm going to chase it. I'm going to be curious. I'm going to talk about it with people. Because if there's more to him, and there's always more to him, if there's some beauty, some glory, some facet that I've yet to appreciate, some way where if I were to submit deeper, if I were to obey more completely, and he were to reveal something of himself to me that I have heretofore not yet enjoyed, I want it. I don't want to leave it on the table. That's the whole game, is that I want to get to the point where my heart is soft and I am in love and I am changeable and I'm in worshiping. That is what we're doing. That's what I mean when I say, well, you're a fireman. Feed the furnace of worship that you might delight in him. Now, I want to say one more thing because oftentimes when we talk about sermons, teaching, and blah, blah, blah. The end goal is not framed as worship. It's framed as application. Go do something different. Go be something different. And I do think that there's a place for application, certainly. Yes, but rarely in the way that we tend to explain it, okay? The way we tend to do application is just like behavior modification, blah, blah, blah. And that doesn't work. It doesn't last. It's kind of a waste of everybody's time. Real application flows out of real worship. If our hearts are soft, if we fall in love, if we're worshiping, then real application actually comes. If you're a builder, if you're an investigator, if you're a fireman, then the application will result. And genuine worship naturally produces real application automatically. I don't want to change your behavior for 20 minutes. Who cares? I would much, much, much rather reorder your loves. I want to change the way you think about the world deeply. I would rather that you develop habits of digging into the scriptures yourselves, having thoughtful conversations with the people around you. I would much rather incite your imagination to begin to think in a different way, a fresh way, how extraordinarily complete and wise and holy and good and surprising and courageous and fascinating and challenging and satisfying Jesus really is. Because if we're doing those things, we catalyze worship, we get everything else for free. Real and lasting application of what you love, what you think 
in what you do that will pay far better dividends than jumping through a hoop ever will. Again, as I've said a thousand times, the word is filled with treasure and you can find it. We want to help. My job is to help you find it, but your job is to join the hunt. Partner with us. Reframe this time. This is not, this is no longer the teaching time. It is the learning time. It is where the builders and the detectives and the firemen get to work. So build your worldview, stoke your curiosity, fuel your worship. Do it in this half hour, do it all week, and then come back. Let's get together again next week so that we can catalyze that process all over again, over and over and over again. I like who I am better when I'm daily in the word. I like who I am better when I'm chasing things down, where I'm placing Jesus at the center of my heart. Normally this time what we do is we invite you all to come down and respond to the Lord. And you can always do that. In fact, we'll have folks that are here to pray for you if you want to do that. But really what I want to ask you to do, if you're willing, is I'd like you to sit in this for just a minute. I want you to think about this, all that we've said. And I want you to do a real quick system check. In fact, if you're willing, I'd love you to just talk about it for 30 seconds with the person sitting next to you. Okay, think about this. I think I got a couple questions here on board. If If I got them through, I know I snuck these in late if they're there. No questions? Maybe not? I'll tell you what they are. Um, I want you to think with your, you can talk about this. Oh, good, we got them. Talk about it with your friend or your parent or your, your spouse or somebody sitting next to you, unless you really just don't like them at all, in which case don't talk to them. But now they're going to know, and that's going to be insulting, so you should probably talk to them. What's the reality? Are you a builder? Are you a detective? Are you a fireman? What's the reality for this whole thing presently for you? What do you wish were true? And what maybe could you change? What do you need to do? Oh, I need to dial in on this, or I'm going to make a, make a resolve to do this, right? I recognize that's, that's hoop-jumping application right there, right? So for those of you that need that, there you have it. But really what we want is the heart change, that you would fall in love with Jesus in such a way that all these things will work together. So if you want to take a minute, I'm going to pray for you. You can just, just take 30 seconds, 60 seconds. What's the reality? What do I wish were true? What do I need to change to make it differently? And I hope that as we grow together as a body, we will be better and better and better builders and detectives and firemen as we feel the heart of worship. Jesus, it's all about you. You are the one that that sermon in Nehemiah 8 centered on. You are the great fulfiller of the law. And Lord, every good sermon that's ever been preached has at its center you. It is your majesty, your splendor. And Lord, sometimes we see you clearly and sometimes all kinds of clouds come in and block our view. There's all kinds of things that we say to ourselves that's just not true. Experiences we've had that fill us with more fear and doubt than faith and hope. Lord, we ask you that as we gather here in this learning time, week after week after week, you would pull back the stuff that blocks us from seeing you. You would strengthen us and deepen us that we would see more clearly how wonderful you are. You'd reorder our loves that you would be chief in our hearts and that we'd worship you. We acknowledge that even when we don't, you are worthy of it all. Would you give us the grace to give you more and more and more of our hearts because you are so great. We love you. Amen.